Ghost Biz is proudly presented by IJG. IJG, making your money work for you. Welcome to Ghost Biz here on the Business Report. And uh, as always, we uh, chat to the finance ghosts to find out what's going on in the world of equities, both uh, in Southern Africa as well as internationally. Uh, hello, Ghost. Welcome back. Hello, Gary. Thank you so much for having me, as usual. Now, let's uh, start uh, at, uh, instead of starting at the head of the story, start at the tail of the story. And and uh, the story today is a tailings business called DRD Gold. Uh, one would have thought with the RAND not faring particularly well, uh, and the gold price really going through the roof over the last year or so, they would have done incredibly well, but it hasn't been quite that good, has it? Uh, no, it hasn't. So gold mining can be really painful like that. I learned this the hard way. Couple of years ago, bought a portfolio of gold miners, thinking you know, gold price goes up, they make more money. I hadn't looked at gold mining in enough detail in the years prior. It was sort of a thematic purchase, and it was the wrong one. Of course, it would have been the right one over the last sort of year or so. But the one you actually want to own, or the ones you want to own, are the sort of deep mining gold houses that make a proper margin on the stuff. The problem for DRD Gold is they are a tailings business, so they process literally, basically, mine dumps and get the last bits of gold out. And that means the margins are a lot lower than for your typical deep level mining. Uh, it makes them very sensitive to a change in gold price. So theoretically, DRD gold should move the hardest when the gold price moves because a lower margin business is more sensitive to margins changing. But in reality, what ends up happening is because of inflationary costs, you know, when the gold price does well, but inflation is high and those two things often go together, then you have a scenario where DRD is not necessarily making the earnings that it needs to make. So the earnings are up, but not incredible. When you consider that the Rand gold price was up 22%, DRD Gold's headline earnings per share for the six months to December was only 5 to 15% higher. What doesn't help either is that the amount of gold that they sold decreased by 8%. So they've had issues like lower yields, community interference, two words you don't really want to see. So it's a very hard business. Cash operating costs were up 14%. Long story short, HEPS is up, but not nearly as well as people would have liked. All right, let's uh, move from gold to magic. Multi-choice has been bringing the magic for nearly three decades now, but they uh, rather unexpectedly seem to, well, certainly from the marketplace, uh, Canal Plus, the French operator, put in a massive offer to purchase Multi-Choice outright to take the shares they didn't already own. Uh, and then Multi-Choice rejected that. And then withdrew a cautionary, and that all seems to have gone down pretty badly with the um, with with the regulators. Yeah, I kind of laugh because now suddenly everyone in Southern Africa knows how to say plus. It's quite funny, right? All thanks to this deal, <laughs> and uh, it's very much a big you know will they won't they situation. So Canal Plus came in with an indicative offer at 105 bucks, and then the multi-choice board. And by the way, they then went to basically pop the champagne over in France. You know, these guys were doing media interviews everywhere they could. They were like, done deal. This is great. Multi-Choice came out then with this very surprising announcement, basically threw the Canal Plus offer back at them. And it was so cheeky, they actually lifted the cautionary announcement to basically show just how not interested they are. They basically said to shareholders, you don't even need to exercise caution anymore. That's how dumb this offer is. You know, our internal models suggest we are worth vastly more. Now, with the greatest of respect to the multi-choice board, if they are worth vastly more, it would be lovely if the share price had actually reflected that at any point in the past year. But, you know, we'll get to that on another day, perhaps. What can happen in this scenario is things can go hostile. You can have a scenario where Canal Plus says, fine, multi-choice board, we're not working with you then. We'll go straight to your shareholders who are tired of your share price going down and we'll make them an offer and then we'll kick all of you out when this deal goes through. That is an option. 
or you can have another bidder who might appear out of nowhere and then the price might start going up, in which case the multi-choice board will look like heroes, literally. And then the other thing that could happen here is a mandatory offer by Canal Plus, but not at 105 bucks. It would be at whatever price they've paid. I think it would be the highest price they've paid in the past few months. And the takeover regulation panel, the TRP gets involved in all of this stuff. And the TRP is quite irritated with multi-choice lifting that cautionary announcement because it's nonsense. Like, how can you tell shareholders, oh, don't exercise any caution, even though we know there's one bidder at the table, you know, who knows how many others there might be. And there might or might not be a mandatory offer, but actually we're not sure. So multi-choice not winning the heart of the regulator there. And I think the story still has a long way to go with many potential outcomes. And one of those potential outcomes is the share price tanking. So don't make a mistake here and think that it's only upside for multi-choice. If for some reason Canal Plus doesn't need to make, doesn't need to make a mandatory offer, and there is a legal argument to say they don't, if you calculate it on voting rights because of laws that limit the voting rights an international holder has in a local broadcaster, it's not clear that there is a mandatory offer. And if there's not, and there's no alternative bidder, that share price can go all the way back down to 70s, 80s very easily. I suppose uh, we should start brushing up on our high school French then. Uh, so let's move now from uh, from entertainment to another form of entertainment, the gaming industry. And uh, Sun International taking a big gamble on Piermont, pun intended. Uh, they released a circular, all 158 pages of it, a lot of detail there. Um, but is this indicative of markets that have just been constrained and, and greater efficiencies? Or is there really some gold in the hills that Sun International think they can mine? So I think Sun International just wants emperors and anything else they can get is a bonus or possibly just an irritation even. Emperor's Palace is a proper asset. So Sun International points out it does an average EBITDA margin of around 40%. And that's as good as any of the best assets inside Sun International. So Piemont has emperors and they've got 10 other properties which are you know really not very exciting. So the big trick here is going to be what happens with the competition commission because there's a very good chance that the ComCom might come back and say, well, you know, this is too much of a consolidation in this market. You'll need to let some assets go. And then obviously what Sun International will try to do is sell off all the non-Emperor's Palace stuff. Even if they're only left with Emperor's, I suspect they'll treat this as a, as a decent outcome. The valuation is also interesting. They're paying an EBITDA multiple of 5.7, well, 5.76 if you want to be really pedantic. So it kind of shows you, you know, you can buy some really quality assets in South Africa particularly in the private market for those sorts of multiples. So when people cry that, you know, listed companies are only trading at that sort of level, here's an example of a really strong business trading at that sort of level. That unfortunately is just life in this neck of the woods. And Sun International is taking on a ton of debt to actually get this deal across the line. So Sun International's group debt is going to balloon from 5.9 billion Rand to 13.2 billion Rand. It's a huge gamble. You know, as I said in Ghostmail, what else do you expect from a gambling business really? And they're going to have to reduce their dividend payout ratio for a while until they bring the debt ratios down where they want them. But basically, this is almost like a private equity transaction. It's kind of like go and buy an existing, very cash-generative business at a modest multiple, layer on a ton of debt, let the debt get paid down over four or five years, and you come out the other end basically having bought this great asset and paid off the banks, and now you're ready to just spit out dividends. That's very much the model here. Well, let's see if shareholders share the optimism. And lastly... A company that uh, really struggled on its Namibian entry, a company called the Daco, released results recently, and, and they actually seem to be doing quite well, um, despite what often is the criticism of, of portfolio companies like this, where they 
almost having too many different kinds of businesses running simultaneously, um, but they're looking all right. Yeah, they are looking all right, and it's because of the engineering consumables. So that's the B two B side of the business, which means basically selling into industry as opposed to selling to you know end users like you and I. The consumer focused businesses have not really you know been shooting lights out at all. Actually, it's been very very difficult there. You know, consumer products could only achieve revenue growth of three point seven percent, and profit was down ten point four. But in engineering consumables, revenue up 14.9, operating profit up 23.7. So just a completely different outcome across the two segments. And that's why these businesses actually like to diversify. Sometimes it does irritate investors because they can't get a pure play view. But in fairness, it does create a more sustainable group overall. So when you look at Hudeco's you know, group level, turnover for the year was 9.1% higher. Operating profit was up 5.1%. So operating profit margin did go the wrong way. HIPS was up 7%. They do point out there were some big one-offs in the base. I think the thing to focus on maybe is that the full year dividend was 10.8% higher than the previous year. So you know you can't really turn your nose up too much at a double-digit dividend growth. That's decent. And return on equity at 19.9%. So that's solid. They are doing good stuff with shareholder money. And yes, the consumer side had a pretty crummy year, but that can swing around, you know, just as easily. All right, Ghost, we're going to have to leave it at that. Thanks for bringing us up to date. Uh, that's uh, Ghost Buzz brought to you by IJG. And remember, you can get along, find the Finance Ghost on the internet. He uh, wanders around the cyber halls and uh, also subscribe to the various newsletters that come through on a daily basis, bringing you up to date with what's happening in the local markets. Ghost Biz was proudly presented by IJG. IJG, making your money work for you. Visit IJG.net for more information.